So the theme of uh, Rosh Hashanah, of course, you know, the, uh, it's right in front of us, isn't it? Uh, the shofar. Uh, if you uh, grew up going to a synagogue, you know that, that that was the thing you remember the most, right? Blowing the shofar. Who blew the shofar, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and then being allowed to uh, come into the sanctuary and, uh, and hear uh, the, the shofar being blown. And so, like uh, most synagogues here at Beth Messiah, we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. That's what makes it so unique, right? I, uh, I know that there are some traditions, usually like uh, Christian traditions, who really appreciate the Jewish orientation of things, uh, that like to blow the shofar in worship services, at the beginning of services, and while we're singing, and hey, nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, it's just not our thing. Uh, and uh, for us, we blow the shofar on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah. And it has a unique meaning and significance uh, as well as sound. And we'll be doing that uh, in, just, uh, in just a little while. Uh, on Rosh Hashanah, in uh, the services, uh, there are three main themes that, that, uh, that come out. And, and you will understand that uh, after the message when we blow the shofar uh, because we divide up the blowing of the shofar into these three themes. And uh, we do so on purpose because they play such an important role uh, in our lives. So the three themes of blowing the shofar is to remind, remember that God is king. First and foremost, it's sort of like an umbrella over everything else. That God is king, machuyot it's called, if you have a traditional uh, uh, sidur or machzor. And then zichronot, uh, remembering, it's called remembering, but what it's referring to is remembering the covenant. The fact that God remembers the covenant and that we are called then to remember his covenant with us. And then the third is called shofar. And that is referring to specifically Mount Sinai and the revelation of God at Sinai, that God revealed himself at Sinai. So we could call it the revelation of God. So the kingship of God, uh, the covenant of God, uh, and the revelation or the revealing of, of God to us. Or we could also say uh, the presence of, uh, of God. And uh, uh, just like we uh, read Psalm 27 uh, over the course of uh, 40 days, beginning uh, on the first of Elul and going to the 10th day of Tishrei on uh, Yom Kippur, there is another psalm. In fact, there's 150 of them. But there is another psalm uh, that is not read every day, but that is a, a very uh, much a cornerstone of uh, the Rosh Hashanah liturgy. And that is Psalm 47. And so we're going to turn to Psalm 47 tonight. And we want to learn a little bit about it. And, uh, and like most of the Psalms, or I should say all the Psalms, the purpose of the Psalms is not just learning about them, but reacting to them, interacting with them, right? We always want to remember that. It's like a song. When you hear a song uh, on the radio, you know, half the time you don't even understand all the lyrics, right? But you react to it. It reminds you of a moment in, in your life, uh, 
uh, you know, or something significant, or uh, it's emotional, or or when you do understand all the words, it, it reminds you of something that has taken place in your own life. Uh, and uh, and usually we're not thinking of the cadence of the music and what instruments are involved. Uh, yes, I know that some do, right? Whenever I say something like that, I'm always reminded. Yes, I know that some do. But generally speaking, we react to a song, you know? Uh, and, and so with the Psalms, the primary thing we're supposed to do with the Psalms is like react to them, okay? So Psalm 47, we want to learn about, and hopefully uh, it will uh, really mean something uh, uh, to us as we meditate on it. Actually, you know, when I was preparing for this, I was going to use Psalm 47 and read a few verses to illustrate something else. But then I read it and I thought, wow, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, uh, let's, uh, let's focus on this, uh, let's focus on this psalm. So you'll notice, uh, the beginning it says, For the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah. That's actually verse 1. I don't know if you're aware of that, but in Hebrew, that's verse 1. It's actually in the text. And it's, it's important. A song of the sons of Korah. Uh, the Korites uh, were priests, and uh, they were like uh, mu- they were musicians and singers. And you read about them uh, in uh, Chronicles, very interestingly. And so this evidently, see what this te- what that tells us is that this was sung as a liturgy in the temple. And what many believe is that it was actually sung on Rosh Hashanah in ancient times. On the, it wasn't called Rosh Hashanah probably at that time, but it was the first day of the seventh month. The first day of every month is a holiday. We have more holidays than anybody uh, in the world, right? Uh, every first day of the month is a holiday. You don't take off of work. Would it be nice, right? It's called Rosh Chodesh. Uh, and uh, there are some special prayers that are said the first day of every month. Well, the first day of the seventh month is extra special for several reasons. One reason is uh, it's the seventh month. And so seven is a very important uh, number in the Bible. And no doubt, uh, the seventh month, a day of rest, uh, uh, traditionally it became understood to be the day of creation. Uh, But uh, the first day of the seventh month became a holy day. And we read about it in Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, But also there's an agricultural reason. It's the beginning of the rainy season. Uh, Sukkot is in the middle of this Hebrew month. Uh, And originally from the literature that we have, uh, the way it was understood is that Sukkot was the main holiday of this season. And that Rosh Hashanah was like the Rosh Chodesh of this season. The, uh, you know, the celebration of the first of the month. Uh, and it's interesting because all it says in Leviticus 23 is it's a remembrance by making noise, literally, by, literally, Yom HaTruah, the day of noise. Uh, in your English translation, it says the Feast of Trumpets, right? Uh, and it says it's a, it's a memorial, but it doesn't say what to remember. It doesn't say exactly what to do. But we do know from the testimony of Nehemiah that it was observed, certainly at the beginning of the Second Temple period, uh, and uh, I believe also 
uh, Haggai uh, uh, talks about the first day of the seventh month. And because they talk about it and they uh, are post-exile uh, writings, uh, that uh, so we know in the Second Temple period uh, that uh, Rosh Hashanah was definitely observed, and probably before, because uh, this uh, we do have indeed uh, this, uh, this psalm. Uh, and uh, so let's read it, uh, and uh, uh, let's uh, see what we can get out of it, and uh, talk about it in relationship to our vision of who we are and how we see ourselves here at Beth Messiah. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples, for the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob, whom he loves. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with a shout with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. All right, so first we see in verse 1, if you look at verse 1 and verse 6, or uh, well, verse 1 in our English Bibles, yeah. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with a voice of joy. And then in verse 6 it says, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our God, sing praises. Uh, and then you'll notice in the next, in verse uh, 2 and in verse 7, See, in verse 2, it starts with 4, and then in verse 7, it starts with 4. So now we know why we're supposed to sing. Why are, we, why are we clapping our hands? Why are we shouting to God with the voice of joy? Why are we singing praises, singing praises, singing praises? For the Lord Most High is to be feared. He is a great king over all the earth. And then in verse uh, 7, for God is the king of all the earth. And so we see the first thing that we understand from this psalm is that we are to sing to God because He is our King. Uh, he is King. So what does that mean? That means that He is sovereign. That means that He oversees this world. That means that uh, as a benevolent King, uh, He cares for us. God is King and, and He remains King regardless of whatever administration lives in the White House, right? Uh, whoever the Prime Minister of Israel is, uh, whoever is running North Korea these days, uh, whatever's happening in Iran, uh, whoever is governing Russia, God is the king, see? And so there is a particular consistency when we talk about the kingship of God. So the rejoicing is, is that he is indeed our king. Now, probably this was sung uh, as a result of some victory, uh, a military uh, a victory. And the understanding was, is that 
uh, whoever uh, is an enemy of Israel is an enemy of God. And so a victory that Israel has is a victory indeed for God. So most uh, scholars believe that this psalm was a, uh, was a psalm uh, that was sung on Rosh Hashanah, uh, but probably written originally as a result of some, some victory. So that's why you read in verse 3, He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. And then you read, if you go down uh, uh, to verse um, uh, 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. And so he subdues uh, peoples under, under us and nations under our feet. So the idea originally was is that, well, when people become uh, 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 vassals of Israel, they become subject to God. So God has gotten a victory. Uh, nations who have come against Israel are defeated. And so now these nations, along with Israel, come under the kingship uh, of, of, of God. Okay? Uh, now... Then it says here, if you uh, look at verse 4, He chooses our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob, whom He loves. Uh, and so here He's talking about, uh, actually He's talking about the Lamb. When He talks about uh, the inheritance and the glory of Jacob, He's referring uh, uh, to, uh, to the land. Uh, the victory that God has, uh, has gotten uh, is the security of the uh, is uh, the security of the land? Okay, so then when you come down uh, to uh, uh, verse five, God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. So that's kind of interesting because uh, in Hebrew, uh, we kind of understand why this would be sung on on Rosh Hashanah. Because it says uh, in, in Hebrew, Allah Elohim betruah, Adonai bekal shofar. And so basically it says, uh, you know, uh, the sound of the shofar, and then it says the Lord makes the noise. Betruah, truah, the sound that the shofar makes. And uh, in a little while, in a few minutes, uh, we'll be saying, truah. And then we'll hear the sound uh, of, the, uh, of the shofar. So it is kind of interesting that the shofar is sounded here, and it's called the shofar. There are other words, you know, for trumpet in Hebrew. Uh, but it uses the word shofar, and it uses the word truah. So it kind of points to uh, Rosh Hashanah. And so the shofar is sounded uh, because God ascends to his throne. Because God is victorious. Because God is the king. Uh, and, uh, and so when we think about God being king uh, uh, in the 21st century, when we come on Rosh Hashanah, this is a great reminder to us. This is when we talk about that it's a memorial, a reminder by the blowing of trumpets, by the blowing of the shofar, we need to remember that God is king. And so therefore, uh, in this chaotic crazy world, God is king. We may wring our hands uh, and wonder, uh, you know, what's going to happen? 
uh, in our own land and, uh, and around the world. Certainly, the world is a dangerous place. But, you know, the, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the world is always a dangerous place. And uh, there have been uh, other generations that have faced greater challenges uh, uh, that we have faced. Think about, you know, the generation uh, of World War II, you know, and Adolf Hitler and Mussolini and, uh, and what was at stake uh, at that time. You know, uh, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. You go back uh, in history uh, to other periods of time. The world is always chaotic. And, uh, and as much as the world tries to find peaceful solutions to all of its ills, one, uh, there's one letter grade that the world gets, and that's F for failure. Failure. With all the great minds, with all the great treaties, with all the statesmen of, past, of the past, and the politicians today, and people that think they have answers, and nobody gets it right. And the world always seems to be on the edge. All the more reason for us to hear the sound of the shofar and to indeed remember that God is king and he doesn't change. He doesn't uh, uh, say one thing to get elected and then never figure out how to govern. Okay? Uh, that is not God. God is not corrupt. We don't have to worry that God is going to, uh, you know, make a deal behind our back. God is upright. God is righteous. He's benevolent. In other words, he's not into power. If he was into power, he would not have sent Yeshua in the way that he did. That's for sure. Uh, because of his benevolence. God humbled himself in such a unique way when he sent the Messiah into this world to be humiliated and to die. And yes, he's raised from the dead victorious, but 2,000 years, people still make fun of him. People still reject him. People still use his name as a curse word. And yet there has been no flood. And yet the good news of Messiah goes forth and people still embrace him and find their hope and trust in him. God is indeed a benevolent king. So when we come on, on Rosh Hashanah, we need to move away from the caricature of this holiday of, oh no, it's a judgment call, and I don't know what's going to happen. That is not how Rosh Hashanah is supposed to work. During the middle of the summer, for those of you that are aware, there is a holiday called Tisha B'Av, right? And that's a real sad holiday when we read Lamentations, and we remember all the sad things that happen. But every Shabbat after uh, 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 Tisha B'Av, every Shabbat is called a Shabbat of Consolation because passages are read about uh, the future and the coming of the Messiah and, and uh, uh, God's deliverance of Israel. If you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, every Shabbat, the Haftorah portion, the portion from the prophets, comes from somewhere in Isaiah, beginning in chapter 40, which begins, Nachamu, Nachamu, comfort, comfort, comfort my people. See? And the reason for that is because it's like going up, a, we're going up a mountain, and the top of the mountain, the, the precipice of the mountain begins on Rosh Hashanah. So it's consolation, like we're looking forward to meeting with God, 
because of an assurance that he will receive us when we confess our sins. That is the Jewish understanding of it. Uh, it, it, you know, um, uh, which is fascinating, uh, considering we're not talking about uh, the Messianic Jewish uh, uh, world, right? Now, when we uh, when we enter Rosh Hashanah, and this is the, the just the traditional Jewish understanding of it, that what we're called to do is remember that God is King and remember His covenant, remember His revelation, so that we will repent, so that we will ask forgiveness, and that we will repent of our sins. Because the only way, according to Jewish teaching, to be right with God is to repent. And so when you come to Yom Kippur, uh, you repent to be able to start again with God. Now, of course, in Bible days, we're called to do a a sacrifice. And of course, without uh, this sacrifice, without the the blood atonement, uh, there is no atonement. And, uh, uh, and so we know that, that our people are missing that, no doubt. But it is very interesting that the idea is to come to God because, because of his loving kindness, he'll receive us like a father receives a child, see? And so there's a motivation to, uh, 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 to repent. And so all the more with the coming of, um, with the, coming of the Messiah, in fact, uh, this psalm, uh, interestingly enough, certainly points to Yeshua because Yeshua is, uh, is indeed our, our king. God is king, and so therefore, uh, in the coming of uh, the very enfleshment or incarnation of God, we have uh, our king, uh, uh, king, uh, king Yeshua. And what does Yeshua say? What's the first thing he says? Is Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, and so the actual inauguration of his kingdom uh, uh, began with his coming. And, and he says to us, uh, repent. And in his death and in his resurrection, we have the atonement. We have the atonement and for our sins in his death, which leads to his life and the inauguration of his eternal kingship. Uh, And we enter through repentance. We must indeed repent. Uh, When we uh, embrace Yeshua, we're called to repent. And not only that, but when we come uh, uh, to a day like this, we could call this our national day of repentance, Uh, Rosh Hashanah. Repentance is to agree with God about sin and turn to him. He will receive you. There should be no fear that God is going to say, well, you know, office hours are over, so repentance is over, you missed. Or, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, the repentance barrel is empty now, and so there's no room for you, okay? Or that you have come one too many times. No, never. God will indeed receive us when we uh, repent. And so we always need to be repenting. We should always be repenting. We should never say, well, I repented, you know, and, and that's it. Because I don't know about you, that, but when I received Messiah into my life, I did re- repent of my sins. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, I kept on sinning. I don't know about you, but I have to repent all the time. And this, uh, this psalm is a great reminder uh, to read this psalm and to remember that God is king. And so when we remember that God is king, 
we remember that we are accountable to the king, right? Uh, God is, uh, we're accountable uh, 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 to God, and uh, uh, we're called to be loyal to the king. And every time we sin, we're not loyal to the king, and we need to repent. Uh, we need to confess our sins. Repent means to turn. Confess means to agree with God. Uh, and, and that is what, indeed, we need to be doing so that we can get the most out of not only our relationship with God, but we can get the most out of these holidays. And not only that, but communally we're called, uh, indeed, to, uh, to repent. Uh, uh, as a community, when we think about uh, how uh, uh, we uh, have sinned as, uh, as a congregation, in our, whether it be in our relationships or decisions or things that we do, uh, we are accountable to God. And so as we all repent and, and we all take stock of our lives and remember uh, that indeed God is uh, the king, that um, uh, we, uh, uh, we will see that a uh, doorway of blessing uh, uh, certainly will, uh, will open up for us. But you know, there's more to this psalm. Not only is God king, and not only do we really read about Rosh Hashanah, but it is pretty interesting that all over this psalm we read that God is not only the king of Israel, but he's the king over the whole earth, the king over everyone. So you know what that means? That means that the whole world is in rebellion to the king. God is the king. You know, God isn't only the king because we believe it. He is the king even if nobody believed it, right? And we know that Yeshua is indeed our king. Therefore, no matter whether everybody believes it or, or, only, uh, or only one person or just us or well, you know, whatever we might say. And so when we ask ourselves, why is the world uh, in, the, uh, in the way it is? It is because of rebellion, rebellion against the, the, uh, the king. Now, in a, I have a little Jewish uh, traditional commentary on, uh, on this psalm. And so the last verse is very interesting when it says here, the prince of the people have assembled themselves as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. So uh, it says here, the mention of Abraham links the prophecy of the future with the promise of the past, that he was to become father of a multitude of nations. The obliteration of distinction between Israel and nations by the incorporation of the nations so that the people become part of the people of the God of Abraham floats about the singer's prophetic eye as the end of God's great manifestation of himself. That's uh, from uh, one particular ancient commentator. Then it goes on to say regarding that he is greatly exalted. It says, he has become greatly exalted. God's exaltation results from recognition of him by all peoples. It is one of the dominant notes struck in the Psalter and truly expresses the ultimate aim of Israel's religion. And so that's fascinating that uh, on Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar. We remember that God is king. And in Psalm 47, which is a cornerstone psalm that is read in every synagogue that blows the shofar, 
there is a reminder of the incorporation of the nations under the kingship of God in his covenant relationship because of what it means when it says the the people of the God of Abraham in his covenant relationship. And so here we are, here uh, uh, tonight as a community of Jews and Gentiles that, that sing that God is the king and that he is our king and that we are a physical manifestation of Israel's future today. The kingship of God living in covenant relationship with God, experiencing his presence in Messiah Yeshua. Uh, Yeshua is our king. And now it is quite clear if you read in the Gospel of Luke, you, or well, you do read in the Gospel of Luke, if you should choose to read it, uh, uh, a couple of very interesting things about this. One is you read when uh, uh, Gabriel talks to Mary uh, and he explains to her what's going on, right? Uh, he says here in verse, uh, in chapter 1, uh, in uh, verse 31 and 32. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Yeshua. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. The messianic uh, a king. Uh, and, uh, and then, actually, in Luke also, Interestingly enough, in uh, chapter 2, we read here that, uh, uh, that Yeshua is a light, of, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Uh, and so a light of revelation to Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Uh, so whether we call him a light of revelation to the nations or the glory of Israel, he is indeed our king the king of Israel, uh, and the nations. And so when we uh, follow the words of Yeshua, when he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, here we see the inauguration of what our commentator that wrote a thousand years ago uh, missed by not uh, engaging Yeshua, that he actually inaugurated this, uh, this kingdom. Uh, uh, as he is indeed king over, uh, over all the earth. So when Yeshua came, uh, just as I said at the very beginning of this, this was probably written in the context of, uh, of, uh, of a military victory. So when Yeshua came, he had a victory, a victory over sin, a victory over darkness, a victory uh, over uh, Hasatan. He defeats sin and darkness. The message is that the kingdom is a reality in a new way. It had been real before, but now there is an added dimension. God was going to establish his kingdom in this world. And now with Yeshua, he does. And that's what it means when we read one of my favorite uh, verses in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom or kingship of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And so for all of us, Jew and Gentile, the way into 
the kingship of Messiah is via repentance. If we want to uh, uh, embrace God in this new way uh, and recognize that uh, uh, the, the new covenant uh, and his presence in our lives uh, in a new way via his resurrection, we need to repent and we need to keep repenting, right? We need to always be repenting and recognize that God is the king and that he loves us and he provides uh, for us and we love him via word and deed. Uh, and, uh, and that here in Psalm 47, uh, we see this kingship of God. And so just in, in closing here, we might ask ourselves, uh, so what does this mean then? Uh, to, how do we respond to, to, to this? How do we as a community respond to this? Well, first we repent, right? Uh, we hear the shofar and we exalt in the shofar, but may it lead us to the doorway of the blessing of God, which is turning from our sins to him, okay? It's not just uh, singing nice songs and getting a good, good feeling, okay? Uh, it is uh, uh, coming to God in the way that he says. And he says, again, when you seek me, I will indeed be found. And King Yeshua says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it has now been inaugurated, and we enter and we uh, experience it through our repentance, uh, uh, both individually and communally. But then also, we need to remember uh, our accountability to God, uh, our loyalty oath to God. Our loyalty oath to God is indeed the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is a loyalty oath to God. Hear, O Israel, we are loyal to you. You are the one and only. Uh, we are loyal unto you. And you shall love the Lord your God, right? With all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. With every bit of us, uh, we are called to love God. And how do we love God? Uh, the same way we fear God. We love God and we fear God by walking in his ways. Not as a bunch of do's and don'ts but as the way of life, as the rich way of life that God has given us uh, uh, to live. I would love to morph into uh, how, th how this way of life leads to blessing and what blessing is, but we might save that for tomorrow. But what I wanted to say uh, is that what we do, how we respond to this then, is this acknowledgement of the kingship of God, our our communal repentance, and our communal love of God by loving Him by the way that we interact with each other. Uh, and really, when we think about that, uh, we need to remember our vision, our calling here at Beth Messiah to experience Israel's future today. Our communal obedience to the vision of Yeshua, uh, both internally and externally. You know, uh, you know when we talk about vision, uh, it isn't, there isn't just one. It depends what we're looking at as to what our vision is, right? Uh, and so we might say that our vision, to use uh, uh, the politics of today, we have a domestic policy and a foreign policy, okay? Uh, we are called internally, domestically, 
to be a place of blessing, a place where needs are met, a place where God is king of all relationships and all that we do, a gathering of people who embrace and live the resurrection life of the kingdom. As described in, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, as well as many of Yeshua's parables. And so internally, we are called to experience blessing from God among ourselves. Experiencing the, uh, the blessing of God. You know, God forgives us, but we experience it in our relationships with each other. God validates us, but we experience it in our relationships with each other. God accepts us in Yeshua, but we need to experience that in our relationships with each other. Physical relationship, kindness, needs met. We experience the presence of God in this way. And that's what makes us unique because of the presence of God in our midst. Yeshua is alive in our midst via the Ruach HaKodesh. And that is our uniqueness in the Jewish community. Now, externally, we need to be a vehicle for people to experience this life. We need to be attractive to the outside world as a new covenant community. In other words, we need to demonstrate the why of knowing the Lord, not just the how of knowing the Lord. The how of knowing the Lord needs to come after the why of knowing the Lord, right? And it's like that with anything, right? I, 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 I will engage in something if I know why I ought to. Why is, you know, it's very interesting when we talk about that because usually when we share the good news, we don't talk about good news. We just talk about how, how, to, how to enter. But we don't demonstrate why it's really great because it's really great news. It's great news that we can really have forgiveness and we can experience it in a community. We can be validated in a community. We can be accepted in a community. We also correct each other in love in a community. We're honest with each other. And we, we experience all this uh, under the rubric of the blessing of God. And this is what the world desires. We are this community of, of Jews and Gentiles, of, of people of different uh, nationalities. If you look around the room, if you did not know Yeshua, you probably would not know many of the people that are here nor would you know much about their background or ethnic group or, or who they are. That's in Yeshua. And we experience, you see, we experience the presence of God and the blessing of God, the infusion of life in Messianic community, the living body of Messiah. That's the why. And that the alienation of the world needs to see this. And we have the responsibility of demonstrating it and exporting it outside of the walls of, of, uh, of the congregation. And so we need to remember that when we're thinking about all the things that we do here and all the decisions we make and about our, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, when are we going to do this and are we going to have this and what about that own egg and, I, uh, you know, what about that special service and are we going to do this and are we going to have that? And, and sometimes we, we forget the vision and we're just concerned with maintaining, maintaining an organization. And God does not call us to maintain an organization. We need to remember that when we sound the shofar. 
We need to remember that what we're called to do is worship the king in the way, we, in the way that we live. And that should drive everything uh, indeed uh, that, we, uh, that we do. And so just real quickly, you know, we have a vision. Uh, we also, of course, our focus is on, the, is on our community, uh, uh, the Jewish community. And so uh, we demonstrate this in Jewish ways, with Jewish values, with Jewish worship forms, and, and, and Jewish identity uh, to make a difference in the, uh, in the Jewish world. And so our mission, therefore, is to facilitate all of this, to facilitate relationships, to facilitate spiritual growth, the education, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and therefore we have a strategy to provide opportunities, worship opportunities, fellowship opportunities, learning opportunities, all kinds of opportunities to engage God via our relationships and to engage him directly with one voice when we have uh, our, our uh, service. Uh, and you know, uh, it's easy when, uh, when you have been around for a long time to simply just do things the way we've always done them uh, because we've always done them. And we can remember how long we've always done them and how we've always done them. But we need to recognize that we live in a different world today. And if, and if we're going to still have life, which means God's blessing, an infusion of life, and not just organization, but an infusion of life, we need to always be remembering that Yeshua is our king. And we view everything and every relationship and all that we do through that lens. And so uh, may, we, uh, may we remember uh, on Rosh Hashanah, that God is king, and that king has entered into benevolent, covenant, loving relationship with us, uh, and that he indeed uh, uh, has come in the name of Yeshua, and may we glorify Yeshua, uh, our risen king. And may we remember that in order to embrace him, in order to experience this, this life continuously, we need to be repenting. We need to be humble. We need to recognize that uh, each of us uh, have our own uh, uh, soft spots. And we need to be forgiving one another. That's what we do at this time of year. We forgive one another, uh, which means bear the burden of, of what people have done. Take them off the hook. We might say it's not fair. That's right. It's not fair. Uh, but it's right and it's just, and it's merciful, and it demonstrates the love of God. And may we be a light in our community. May we make a difference in our world by the way we indeed conduct ourselves in, in the reign of Yeshua, our Messiah. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that we would take Psalm 47 to heart and that we might respond to it by repenting and by loving others and living under the values, we could say the culture, the meaning, and the way of life of the Alam Haba of Israel's future. Lord, we know today that we don't experience all of that future, but we do experience redemption, sonship, salvation of our sins, the forgiveness of our sins, and intimacy with you. And so, Lord, may we live that out. May we enjoy it. May we be blessed, and may we share it. We pray this in Yeshua's name.